took all my guitars down off the uh off the wall and i've had to fill in the holes and i'm redoing the whole thing i got these uh i got this new um hd projector so i can put it on top of my desk here uh, my new stand-up desk that you you uh <laughs> persuaded me to get uh and so i just project onto that that back wall over there but the guitar was in the way so so now I've got to put the guitars over on that wall over there, and I'm going to, like, stagger them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I'm going to try and make it into an actual decent space. Yeah, my wife had me move a wall 18 inches. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, man? Well, I'm tired. I'm tired. <laughs> I bet after moving an 18 inch wall, or at moving a wall 18 inches, how big was the wall? 18 feet. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. The other question is what was on the other side of that wall? That's right. What was on the other side of that wall? A bathroom, a lunchroom, and a hallway. <laughs> oh, they wanted, so she wanted the, the bathroom to be bigger or what? The bathroom to be smaller and the kitchen to be bigger. Oh, I see. I see. Oh, I suppose that's is that the is that upstairs that she wanted that done? Well, main floor. I don't. I don't I'm a bungalow. All right, fair enough. I'm gonna try the intro a little bit different this time, um, more coinciding with the original idea. This is the 320 Club, and it presents Whiskey and Rocks, the show where I, Rocks, provide populist arguments while my well-distilled friend and co-host Whiskey here melts them down with minimal scrutiny. <laughs> <laughs> think of it like think of it like stump the chump but it's about an hour long uh what are you what are you drinking my man uh so i i considering all the prices are for for anything is bloated um yeah i got, I got an el dorado 21 Ooh, rum yeah nice so you just drinking it straight well I'm gonna, finish, be. I'm gonna finish my water first <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. I've got. I was just gonna go with my standard black bottle, but I found this. Uh, this bad boy was sitting here. It's the Ardbeg Perpetuum, straight out of your grandmother's medicine cabinet. It basically tastes like formaldehyde, <laughs> but it is it is delicious. It is one of their. Uh, it is one of Ardbeg's finest. Uh, whiskeys 47.4 percent what else we got it's their 100th anniversary uh bottle from 18 i guess the company was started in 1815 and uh this bottle was made in 2015 well they're just newbies compared to these guys these guys have been in business for 300 years well that's what you get for being a pirate <laughs> the East India Company, wasn't it? Uh, Elder East India? No, that's East India. That was more of a uh, British thing. This is um, well. That's uh, where that's where all that uh, came from. Was as a result of British taxation, uh, and there was a revolt down in the Caribbean. Was there not? Of a bunch of merchants yeah, who didn't want to pay taxes and shit. Spain was there too. Uh, Portugal was there. 
think of, you know, Brazil's Portuguese, speaks Portuguese. Fair enough. Well, everybody grabbed an island. Yeah. But I'm not sure what year this was. My history, my history on that was a little bit, uh, is pretty weak on that one. That's quite I'm nice. Just, I'm, just, I'm just reading the label. Hmm. <laughs> As grandma's medicine cabinet goes, that's not too bad, actually. That's, uh, it's got a nice, uh, burn going down. But it's like, it is peaty. It is peaty as fuck, but it's not too bad. We're going to actually go a little bit more in depth in the actual tasting bit of, uh, the fact that we tend to drink, uh, whiskey and stuff on our, on our podcast. Anyway, how you been, man? Been a long time. We haven't talked in a while. Ah, busy, busy, busy. These things. It's just it's one thing after another. Well, my boss, like everything else, my boss is on sick leave, and so you step up and do your job. But it, uh, and your job, and his job, and everybody else's job in the midst of a big transition. It's um, you know. <laughs> I think a lot of people are feeling that right now. So. What's the reason? Why? Uh, what's the? Is it because of all the vaccine mandates, or what's what's the deal? Well, I've been on sick leave, sick leave for a while. It's it's oh, stre- uh, like stress it, leave type thing. Well, it's not something to get into here, but um, fair enough. It, but uh, you know, it's they're, they're real things. They're real problems, and he's, he's, he needs the space to deal with them. So, but the thing is, we're, our organization isn't strong enough. It doesn't have enough people to to um really backfill anybody um and that leads and it's the same thing that all of the organizations are, are dealing with right now is like where do you get the people to you know do the work how long does it take to train them how what do you what do you have them do when you're working from home what do you like exactly those are great questions so i mean i, I just even from my perspective all i can think of is like the tasks aren't going away like the the workload is still there, but the people have diminished, either by you know leaving the workplace outright or by uh, any other means. Whether it's in some situations like people going on sick leave, that kind of thing, or it's uh, I don't know, pick your poison. But like, what can my question is, what can the organization do to to try and mitigate that? can they scale back tasks or can they set better priorities? Because that seems to be the question of the day for a lot of the people that we work with. Well, if you go to like a Harvard business review, uh, idea cast talks, uh, has a perspective and, and, and they interviewed one, one, one person. I forget her name and I apologize. Are you um, able to talk closer into your mic? Sorry, man. So I got my other camera on. Um, does it sound a bit better? Yeah, it does. Much better. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, so there's some quite interesting things going on. I've, I've learned a lot last few months. Um, so some of the stuff is uh, it's basically a radical departure from, you know, where I thought I, what I thought I knew and what is out there is, 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 is like, you know, leaving the prairies to go hike a mountain is pretty much what it, it came down to. Um, when you realize what exists and what's out there in terms of uh, literature and research and um, 
perspectives. Um, yeah, so I, I've been fully engrossed. Um, and, you know, I'm still the awkward one, obviously, because it's just how I am. But I'm, I'm, I'm the awkward, awkward guy with, the, with the, a viewpoint on the world that is very wide, whereas everybody else just seems to have a, a niche thing, a uh, niche point of view in the world, um, which is kind of funny. What do you mean by that? Like how, um, how, how, what kind of niche points of view are you talking about? Um, I, I want, I want ones in like, I'm all for equality and, and you know that I'm all for, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm all for equal rights. I'm all for equal, you know, equal opportunity and I, I'm all for this, but there, there, there needs to be a lot not for equal rights. <laughs> Equal rights and equal opportunity, uh, equal outcomes. Um, like there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, there, there's, there's, there's loss in literature. But what I, I, I want to get at is um, someone was 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 spouting off um, in one of these forums I was working in. You know, defund the police. Um, you know, you know, uh, black people cannot take off uh, their clothes and and cease being a police officer. You know, there'll always be black. And and there was a lot of, like, rhetoric that was, was thrown in these forums. And I just said, hey, this is, you know, like politicians, lawyers, engineers, um, police, firemen, all swear an oath of allegiance, which is tied to their religion. They can't take that oath off with their uniform. It exists no matter what. So it... it, it regardless of what you think of what's going on um these people will you know still come to help you regardless of, of what you think of them um and when you're in trouble and you need help i guarantee you're still calling 911 like there's like at the end of the conversation is is that the bottom line is you're still calling 911 because you really often don't have another option um yeah and, i mean yeah I, I can kind of see where you're going with that a little bit. Yes. Not everybody calls 911 uh, and probably for good reason. Uh, not all jurisdictions and not all districts are created the same. Um, but to kind of go back to what you're saying earlier about what you've seen on some of these forums about people just spouting off defund the police. I think people have a very narrow minded view of the world who uh, they just, they want to hit the easy button instead of, and, and like take the, I don't know, they want to take the position of like, let's take the system down as opposed to trying to actually spend time reforming it uh, into something that fits current society. I agree. Uh, and really the social services need to be, you know, customize for whatever region they're working in so maybe you have a police officer and a social worker that worked in work a certain uh you know they work the beat of that area because you know when you're a police officer and you join for you know law enforcement it's you know they're a hammer and if you every every time something happens you're calling a hammer well everything's gonna start looking like a nail mm -hmm. and that's the problem and that's sort of the problem but you you know when like Remember when, I don't know if you remember, but if, if you, but way before the tri-service were integrated in 911, 
if you were poisoned, you called a different number. It was called poison control. It was a yeah. different phone number that the bottom of everything. Yeah. Um, maybe it's like maybe that, and it and it was the job of the nine one 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 operator to triage what's happening a bit, and maybe we have like integrated response. Maybe we have so, like traffic stops. Maybe those are all going to be uh, on on the four hundred one. Those are all going to be like traffic enforcement, and they're going to be you know going to have a majority of scenarios that look like that. But for other for other things, we can move along. But the the point is, is that you, you, when you start attacking the police themselves, you know that's another form of discrimination because it's tied to their credence. It's not something they can. It's not an individual. It is a group. And under uh, Ontario uh, Human Rights uh, website, that's that's another form of discrimination. So you have one person claiming another person is discriminatory. By discriminating against them. <laughs> yeah, that happens all the time. It's hilarious. <laughs> the same people who say things like defund the police are usually some of the most racist freaking people I've ever had the displeasure of interacting with. Um, <laughs> that's a flippant comment, but anyway. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. We could also spend a lot of time dealing with the causal issues that, uh, for whatever reason people have to call 911 in the first place. Like if you're having a lot of domestic issues within a certain neighborhood or if you're having a, a huge amount of like let's take uh, let's take a major city where you're bound to have an increase of crime as opposed to out in the sticks, you know, like if you know what I'm saying. Um, why can't you deal with the sections of the city that have the most concentrations of crime and deal with them in such a way where maybe you implement social programs to help bolster those communities, uh, to give them what they need in order to uh, go towards crime prevention, go towards the stigma that it gets associated with, you know, gang violence, all kinds of shit that happens within um, huge metropolises. I mean, that's one, that's one other solution. I saw, like, I remember seeing this, uh, it was like a cartoon that somebody had done up. It was like an editorial cartoon. And I thought it was kind of an interesting argument. And it, it was a, and it was an image of a police officer and it had like, the police officer was holding all of this baggage. It was like a giant Santa Claus bag. And it had like domestic response and, um, fires and well, not fires, but like gun violence and uh, dealing with the general public, and it was just like a, a huge bag. And then in the next, uh, in, and they had somebody shouting at the uh, at the cop saying like defund the police. And then the the real answer ended up being like, why don't we just implement proper social programs so that all that baggage that gets taken off of the cop's shoulders. That's right, and 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 I think that's like if we say a crime, let's say substance abuse, let's say um, you know domestic some some domestic violence, not all. I would say domestic situation, um, you know, petty theft. Those are all tied to like income inequalities, and or at least have a strong correlation between the two. So, like, when we look at these things, um, it's, it's, it's smarter to say, let's, let's decriminalize marijuana possession. Let's, let's criminalize 
marijuana distribution because those are using it like they're trying to they're, it's a form of escapism is a um you know a way of coping with income inequality um so when we talk about you know and then there becomes a you know a social program versus you know control and a, 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 you know authoritarian viewpoints or you know ultimately a lot of conservatives focus on on their desire to control things and make sure it's placed and correct Whereas mm-hmm. liberals, you know, trying to focus on the social programs without really looking at the cost. So That's there, right. There's a, there's a, really enough uh, those opposing viewpoints, and that's the, that's the interesting bit when we start raising uh, minimum wages and seeing some of the positive effects that happen. Um, and we saw, you know, these um, pandemic um, uh, viewpoints. So pandemic was. Um, uh, with the pandemic uh, subsidies, people are saying, well, people don't want to work anymore because they're getting subsidies. Well, that's not true. I mean, it may be true to an extent, but we're it's not... partly talking. true. Come on now. <laughs> well, five point, the, the unemployment rate is still 5.9%. Yeah. So, and, and, and any labor statistics, so that last 5% are not the 5% you want anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Eh, eh, like, if people got to understand that there is going to be a reconciliation because we just don't have enough people. We have a lot of people leaving the workforce. People are retiring early. When do you think the boomers were going to do it? They're well, not going to do it when it's sunshine. They're going it's to do not it just boomers. Uh, it's a lot of people. Like, the, what I've been hearing a lot in independent news lately is, like, there's this thing going on called the Great Resignation. Have you heard anything about this? It's like it's a mass of people just leaving their workplaces and in often cases they're leaving because they're getting paid dirt money and then they go into a they leave they leave their job and then they go find another job similar kind of job skills i guess uh, are applied and then they get they get paid at a much higher wage and you're seeing a lot of that especially in the states i don't know how it is in canada but i i, I, I you got to watch the overgeneralization though um, for sure and and, and like there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that are that are moving, um, uh, and there, there's there's mass spect, there's a mass spectrum. So it, it's easy to say, hey, we got people that are retiring, there are people leaving the workforce, we don't have enough people. Okay, so it must be something going on. We're gonna call it the Great Resignation. But there's a, there's a there's, there's a couple of systems working together, they're causing that effect. One, as you alluded to, the boomers are retiring early, or retiring. Because they can, because they're at the age bracket. And they can do that now. Uh, we also have a declining birth rate, and we've had for, for a long time. So the the boomers are a giant piece of that pie. And the, uh, we have a, a small X and a larger millennial section. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it is. So you're sandwiched between the, the lack of the people coming in, a small X, and a, and a, a big boomer decline. Um, so these people are the, you know, X's and, and the high, the older millennials are moving up, but who's left in the background? Mm-hmm. Who's backfilling? Nobody. Yeah, and, then we have, and that then could we, be a big problem too. And the the question is, why aren't they? Why aren't they backfilling? No, it, they just. You, it's not why they those they don't exist. Ooh. But, that's that's the point. I just told you the unemployment rate is still steady at five point nine percent. Those people that you're talking about don't exist. Just at all? 
So we oh. have the maximum amount of people able to supply the work. So there should be no millennials without a job then, right? No, that's a very conservative idea. No, you're <laughs> never get 100% employment. No, I don't, got don't it. Don't delude yourself. Got it. Okay. So there are people that don't need to work, don't want to work, don't, and there are people that want to work. Of the people who want to work, 94% of them are employed. 94% of them are employed. If I just told you, yeah, nine, 95, we only have 5.9% unemployment. <laughs> so then, I mean, what's the problem? You have more jobs. So the, yeah. the, don't, don't try and twist it on me, you little bugger. Listen, I'm not. So, <laughs> the, the, so, so what, what Harvard Business Review was talking about the other day was, is um, maybe we need to restructure jobs. Probably. Maybe we need to look at maybe a Costco model for supply industry. We need to work about worker empowerment. We need to downsize the number of stores. Maybe we don't need three subways within five kilometers. Maybe we need one bigger one. Interesting. Because that's what it is. Maybe we don't need a Tim Hortons on Highway 2, a Tim Hortons on Highway 15, and they're only five kilometers away from each other. Well, I don't know about you, but I like having a Tim Hortons within 10 minutes every 15 kilometers. <laughs> yeah, but, you, but but the problem with the number of hours and the number of people that they need, maybe you're only, you're not going to get the same selection. Maybe you're a downsize. Yeah, like re, the re, juice re, is not worth business. the squeeze at that point. No, I get it. Maybe one's just going to be a coffee stand and the main the, one of the other ones going to be a little bit, little bit bigger to take on more of those other responsibilities. Would that be, would that allow perhaps for uh not a reintroduction but like an increase in small business to take over some of those franchises to would that be possible then so instead of like you said the three tim hortons that are in the same city two of those shut down to make one like you said big tim hortons those buildings are still there could you not just take them and Somebody's some young Hortons. entrepreneur that wants to just sell coffee to other, to people. Well, They've already got the infrastructure. They just make their own small business. I think you need to to, to look at what is a small business. If it is a is a franchisee a small business? Is a franchise a small business? Uh, no. Why not? But they have the small businesses incorporated one. into them, right? Each each franchise e franchise license is an independent business, right? I thought you meant franchises in like McDonald's as a franchise. E, who owns that McDonald's? Well, the CEO of the company. So you're not talking about like the individual McDonald's store. That's what you're talking about. I'm talking about we need to sh reshape jobs. You said come in with small business to replace the vacuum was there, but I mean franchises are small vacuums. So you, the point the point is mute. So I just it, don't understand the terminology is what we're saying. But you know, it, you gotta be we gotta be careful when we say you know franchise or big business or like Starbucks owns all their stores. We talk about McDonald's and Tim Hortons. There's a franchisee that owns that. That is a small. So business. is it? There's a, a like, there's a store like a, owner who owns that store, but they pay some. They they got to pay their, you know their their what do you call it? They got to pay their uh, their 
what was it? Their tuppence to the to the major corporation. Oh the, well, they have to pay their franchise license. Yes. Yeah. But they're still a franchisee, which is technically still a small business. Because mm-hmm. maybe a mom and pop that own that, and Subway's notorious for this. So you'll have a family that owns a Subway, and that's the whole job. That's the whole family business. So, hmm. like we got, we got we got to be careful that when we when we're criticizing them that we're not, you know, unduly uh, discriminating certain people uh, or certain groups of of businesses in doing this. But the point being is that maybe Subway needs to restructure so we're, we're going to have fewer subways better we're focus on overstaffing them so they have better quality of service and then they on ramp into you know doordash or or whatever other company to get it to the right spot yeah to meet that whole fact that the labor market is just not what it used to be exactly and we're going to see a consolidation this is the writing's on the wall right on and then we'll probably end up soon more. or is it already happening well, it, well, when you when I'm doing my 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 uh, my projects, I I first check the the you know what I'm doing, what I need to do it, and then what I need to do it is the money there. Yeah, is the people there? Uh, no, we're not doing it. <laughs> right. Interesting. So it's it, it, it's um it's it's interesting. There's a tendency right now um to um, really look at uh, what's we're looking for. When we say we, they, uh, that IBM, that Microsoft, that you know Apple, that government, um, we we have a tendency to to focus all their faults as one individual. We, we personify. Well, 100%. The, it's the easier that way. So we blame so, the prov- we, the the Americans. They blame the problems of the country on the president. But, but, <laughs> but what I've been reading is it's kind of hilarious. Is that we tend to underestimate mediocrity of all the middle managers in between because they're only going to do what they understand and only to do what they what, what they what they think they can achieve without looking bad. Dude, I've been saying this for about a year now. Um, is that uh, and. You know, I could be way off base, but I feel like you you might agree with me. But somebody, you know, a, a manager or a or say a uh, a chief executive officer or something like that, somebody who has real authority and power over a company can come up with a great idea, have a vision, have an intent. They have and they have an end state of how they and then they have a a, a way, a path forward of how to carry out that idea. And, and that could make perfect sense down to the lowest person who needs to act it out. But it's all those middle management fucks that screw it up along the way because they got to throw their own little piece in there. They got to like that happens all too often. They got to throw their own little their own little secret sauce that screws up the whole soup. I think you're <laughs> oversimplifying again, but that's what I do. <laughs> tell me, go in, go in my head and come out and tell me I'm wrong. Okay, um, so uh, what do you call it? So Squidbert. Um, the uh, <laughs> uh, so w- when we go when you go through this process is that there's lots of there's been lots of research into organizational culture and how it you know you know after we break down this layer, is saying okay, well it's not a person, it's a group of people, 
Mm-hmm. And then you realize there it's a group of people stacked, right? You know, depending on how big the organization will be, you might have a, a, a silo of people here and a silo of people over here, and then you have a silo of people in the middle. And each inside that silo, like that division, you're going to have like the executive level, you're going to have the middle managers, you're going to have the four people. What what is really interesting is organizing that division. The the company itself will have an organizational culture. The division itself will have an organizational culture, and each one of those levels inside the, the middle managers and the floor will have their own culture. We are this. When we talk about image and identity, um, image it really talks about uh, how we project ourselves, how people interpret uh, you as a member of that organization. And identity is how you feel about yourself your role within that organization. And um, when we twist these things around, you realize that the word uh, feedback, for example, since we're on the podcast, as it goes in the top do- top down, the word feedback to like a mid, uh, an upper uh, suite would be like how the company is doing. Because they tend to um, identify highly with how effective they are as an organization. To the middle manager, that feedback was, well, how are we doing in relation to the organization itself? And then you go down to the lower levels, feedback was, well, how am I doing in relation only to the, my my people above me? Yeah. So so that just that word feedback, you know, is, is really interesting. And then you go to the engineers, and that could be background noise. It could be a technical term. So it's 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 fascinating as, as we go through this. So if you want to change one thing, well, realize even just the simple words. Um, I was in one academic thing uh, activity, and they said the word framework. You need to reframe what you're doing and provide a better framework. Okay. What, is, what, do you, what so does I, that actually I, mean? I put a couple of things in. He goes, this is not what I want. This is totally outside. What so, does that mean for the guy who's actually producing the product that you're trying to sell? The word fr- I'm I'm cross discipline, you know. So when you when you say the word frame, to me that could mean taking a picture and putting a new insert in. It could, could mean a literal structure, raw box, or highlight a particular concept, or it could take a concept and restructure the whole damn thing, mm-hmm. which is for work. And you go to a house, reframing a house is no small feat. Yeah, people just like to throw around buzzwords to make themselves sound smarter, I find. But but it's not necessarily it's just understand what 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 culture you're going to engage. Like, you know, I'm conscious when I go into another country that I've t- taken a few liberties to say that, you know, thumbs up means really something really bad in Italy and mm-hmm. you know, the middle finger in North America means different things. So when we talk about, you know, formal culture and informal culture um, we got just got to be careful of what we're talking about. Just so, so to say, hey, someone's got to change one thing all the way down is a very crass way of looking at it. It's, 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 you know, middle managers are picking up what they think they can do because ultimately, when they look at you going, I, I only think they can achieve this, so this is where we're going with it. <laughs> My son is losing his mind right now. Hang on okay. a second, I have to hit pause here. Hey, man, sorry. 
I'm, no worries, uh, I'm single dad uh, duty tonight. No worries. I do got to head off at 930. I got to write a paper and stuff like that tonight. Oh, okay, fair enough. What's your paper on? Oh, it's just the summary. I'm leading the conversation. I, uh, I basically picked a fight with a textbook. And <laughs> That's not good. So for our listeners, just so you know, Whiskey is doing his PhD and it's on, or you're doing it in organizational theory? Yeah. As a part of your PhD on business administration? No, the business administration is the doctorate in business administration. Doctorate in business administration, the sorry. we're working on through right now is organizational theory. And what this one particular, this course I'm working on is critical thinking is a separate topic. Um, and what I'm saying is traditional critical thinking that's taught in the Western ideology biases uh, and disadvantages, um, uh, disadvantage arguments. And it is not as critical as they think it is. It's not as critical as they think it is. So really the aim of critical thinking is to, one, understand what the, the points are as they support the conclusion to make sure that the argument is sound. So essentially we can make a decision or recommendation or understand a topic. Right. Um, however, there's an inherent bias as these things are constructed to exclude certain information. So we're taught to say if, it does, if it, there's not a clear indicator with why this attribute of whatever document that we're working on whether it's a you know an unstated assumption that could be there, or a uh, deliberate argument that supports the conclusion, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, the best I could say is, we should you know we need to find plans to inc- protect our bottom line. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the different things. We'll we'll go to our executives and we're all going to say we're going to come up with plans to protect improve our bottom line. So most of them are going to look at you know, reducing costs here um, or increasing production, increasing margins is one way of looking at it. But realize when they start doing these things, if I wrote one on just cost cutting, I'm going to look at overseas production. And if I do overseas production, I'm going to you know mostly end up in an Asian country, but let's say I work, start, I, th- my, my product starts happening at a Chinese factory and we know, and it's been proven that Cor- North Korea exports slave labor to China to work in factories. Yep. So if I'm just exporting Asia, I'd be like, that's simple. Everybody does it, you know, but the, the, the critical criticality comes in is, you know, what are the sorry? Oh, what you're are, not boring yourself with your own <laughs> topic, <yeah>. are you? <laughs> uh, coffee hasn't kicked in yet. <laughs> you know, what are the social aspects of what it is? Because criticality says, you know, critical thinking says, you know, we're, we are going to improve costs or by, you know, reducing overhead by exporting our, our a lot of our product, our production to Asia. Mm-hmm. By using lower cost labor, regardless of whether or not it has a blood cost on human life or what has the, ethical costs, exactly. So those ethical costs, you know, by you know using 
you know, high safety standards in North America. We export it. We get, we trade off our social, you know, acceptance of what's happening to now an Asian country, because we don't see that filth or that unpleasantness. We are now going to ignore that it exists. Um, but you know, more and more becoming more aware of these things and, uh, sorry. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a harm to the bottom line as people become aware of, you know, the slave labor that's being employed. Isn't that the role of, let's say, mainstream media or in or journalism to expose that the, the arguments that often get left out? Hasn't that been the role of journalism to like to like I just said, like expose the fact that labor is often produced via unethical means? Like we know that we know about that now, mostly because of reporting, right? I would say I I, I don't I, I say it's it's part of their job. I think they're they're the the role of media is in part one to you know shine the the focus on on you know the downside of decisions, but really. I think all executives should really think about, you know, the constant, the social context and where they're making a decision. Now there's other critical thinking topics out there. You, you do critical pedagogy, um, which is another way of looking at it, but uh, some of them are geometrically opposed to each other in how they, 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 they focus like critical pedagogy, like talks about social factors in the background. There are no real wrong answers. They're just better ones for all the, all the information that we have. Um, so there's different ways of looking at this information. One is just overly, overly filtered. And what I was, what I've been proposing to a lot of my classmates is like, when we write these things, we're told to cut, you know, you, you you get two pages for a, a briefing product. Um, you know, the emphasis on conciseness, what do you need to know? The problem is when you start looking like, okay, well, you know, this organization is doing this again, you know? Like we're we're by leaving a lot of this information out, we put, could potentially be feeding biases at the executive level. Without actually, you know, we're, we're, without actually doing it. Yeah, I'm choosing by virtue of whatever briefing I'm providing. I'm deciding what's important for the person who has decision making power to make a decision, and I'm basically lawyering whatever argument I can construct that I think will make them make the decision easier. Wrong adjective, but I see your point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure lawyering is not a uh, real word, but whatever. I'm okay making up things on the fly. Stereotyping people. Come on. <sighs> You're better than this. No, I'm not. You know that. <laughs> so... But anyways, there were interesting times, like when we started talking about, um, you know, the new, how, how culture is going to shift post pandemic. What does post pandemic look like? That's my question. Well, it's already an endemic. So let's just say now we're just, we're in that, we're the most, they call it pandemic, but. Don't tell that to the Canadian government. (laughs) No, they know what it is. (laughs) They're just trying to keep the terms simple. Hey, um, did you hear? There's a new, uh, there's a new variant that is combining Delta with Omicron. It's called Deltacron or Omnidelta or some shit like that. They're just making up new Decepticons for the 
for the COVID variants. <laughs> the Decepticons are multiplying. We need more Autobots. Transform. Yes. <laughs> Um, what are we doing, man? No, we're protecting the hospitals. That's all that's happening. Yeah, totally agree. I like I'm with you on that one hundred percent. Like, we gotta be good neighbors. We still gotta do whatever we can to prevent the overburdening of our hospital system. Um, because look, I've seen uh my mother who is a registered nurse, she's gone through all this shit and it's like it's not pretty, man. Um, so, but the problem is, is like, like where, like, where does it end? Like at what point, like, you're not, like you said, you said earlier, and I'm kind of alluding to an earlier argument you made about, you're never going to get a hundred percent. So what does that mean for something like vaccinations? Cause that's really what we're alluding to, right? When we're talking about we got to protect the hospital system? No, no, no. We're, we're avoiding contacts, the shutdowns, the confi- you know restriction of movement, uh, mm-hmm. which is reduction. Reduction of movement is is, is what we, we, we sort of return it to be, but it's a reduction in exposure, uh, risk to exposure, which mm-hmm. re- reduces risk to transmission, reduces transmission, reduces, you know, um, uh, so. You know, if I have a thousand contacts, well, reduction in exposure means I have fewer people able to pass on that virus, which translates to fewer cases. And the number of people that are exposed, let's say, you know, you know, uh, you know, one point one percent of people get exposed, which isn't, you know, people think wasn't too bad, um, and they they get the virus. But if now 1% of the population get the virus, but only 0.01 of the people actually require hospitalization, well, 0.01 of 30 million people is it's still a fair number of people. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know about this limiting of movement is actually working because I was in Costco in Ottawa the other day, and look, man, they ain't preventing anything from getting passed on. And there's no, there's no, like, you could say there's only a limit, there's a limit to the number of people in our building, but that ain't stopping shit. Yeah, but so don't be so pessimistic. This, they're using fluid dynamics to do all this stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not, the, I'm not the expert on it. I've only seen a couple of models, but really, uh, if I have, let's say I have one case in a group of people and you're walking around and I'm picturing this dot walking through a crowd. Mm-hmm. And that density of that crowd, you know, each person in that bubble, in that vicinity has a percentage of likelihood of, of carrying the disease, right? Mm-hmm. So that person like, is like a flashlight, you know, you're following on Google Maps and there's a whole bunch of dots that represent other people. As you go through, there's a probability induced with every person he passes or they yeah. pass. Now, if there's a lot of people in that circle, well, the, prob- the probability that one or two now get it is much higher. Yeah. Right? And then so, the, it just increases exponentially. Exactly. So yeah. they're using they're using they're they're, they're trying. I guess if I'm in the in the political sphere, I would be balancing trying to keep the economy moving and trying to reduce numbers at the same. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, latest trend? In um, we were talking about this before we recorded a, a while back about the idea that. 
uh, let's just take Omicron as an example that it's far less, it's sorry, it, it's far more uh, transmissible, but far less virul- vir- virulent. Sorry, I can't pronounce words. Words are hard. Um, than previous um, than previous strains of COVID, and that could be an indication of the seriousness of the virus, um, like the the idea of hospitalizations being delinked from total number of cases. Have you heard anything about that? I have heard bits and pieces, but ultimately, right now, the hospitals are at capacity. Yeah. So, not. Like, you know, are they at I, capacity because of COVID, or are they at capacity because of like a bunch of other factors, like people who are maybe some people who, like I'm curious to see a breakdown in percentages of people who are completely neurotic who don't need who may have COVID but don't need to go to the hospital, yeah, um, tri- as opposed to people do- who the, tri- the triage at the door, buddy, it, right. And, and like my daughter was in the hospital in November and man, there were people sitting. Oh, in the hallway. Was she? Oh yes. So like it's, you're, you're, there's, there's booths at the door before reception, you know, and like, and, yeah. and you can't, you can't, oh, even get yeah. there's, there's they're like, you can't just walk in and, and, and expect it to be sitting there. Um, yeah. And like, you know, when they have, you know, reports of people dying on the floors, because when those stated symptoms that, that they have, like the triage process is for this. So if, if you have chest pains, you're, you're about to pass out, they're going to let, they're going to, you know, see, your, you know, you're a triage too. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, if you're passed out on the floor, not breathing, not responsive, you're going to get right in triage one, priority one. Right. But, you know, if, if you've got like a case of the crankies, you're going to sit in the weight room for a really long time. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's, yeah, no, that makes total sense. <laughs> and there's other factors at play there too. Like whether or not you're elderly or whether you have some sort of comorbidity, that's, you know, maybe you're overweight or, or obese, I should say, or, you know, any number of factors that are at play that, that COVID just kind of puts you at greater risk of uh, hospitalization too, right? Yeah. So, you know, think about that. So, those people with comorbidities, who are they? People terminal. with diabetes, terminal illnesses, a whole laundry list of in a partridge are, in a pear tree. Who mostly are? Who mostly are what? Older people. Okay. Mostly, yeah. Let's let's do the demographic here. Those older people are mostly baby boomers. Okay. Okay, which makes up basically a big stake of the population. Yeah. Okay. So the size of that demographic is big. Yeah. Now, I'm going to take a virus that exacerbates all those problems because they already have a big list of problems because they're in that demographic. Yeah, and I throw one that exacerbates all the problems. What did I just do? Well, you just increase the uh, or decrease the survivability rate and shorten their population. <laughs> and we're going to see a big transfer of wealth from the boom baby boomers to the to well. The <laughs> well, we'll see. It depends on uh, it depends on their uh, their wills, I guess. Um, <laughs> not to be too morbid about it. Uh, okay. Uh, interesting. Interesting. 
So no, we, makes you, sense. you see it, right? So now you have this, you know, we, we, throughout all the, the, you know, all the populations are disease comorbidities that cause problems. But, and then, then you pair in the fact that, you know, the, the people that are anti-vax, you know, ex- exacerbate these problems greatly. And the problem is now you have pockets. It's not like it's a perfect demographic, but you have pockets of these different cultures that, mm-hmm. you know, communal cultures that say, no, I'm not doing the vax. I don't trust anybody. Well, um, there's a couple different kinds of sciences. There's not just one. And these disciplines study the effect of stuff like this going through the population. That's a very interesting thing that you mentioned that because I was thinking about that today. Like I was thinking like and this is a very crass argument. So forgive me. But that's all I'm really good at is uh, the idea of like there's different kinds of science or like we have too much science and no one trusts any of it. Or they like cherry pick the science to suit their own needs or, you know, people start forming teams and getting tribal about uh, what their facts are. It's just like. Nobody is actually just sitting down and letting science do its thing where it's peer reviewed and actually broken down the way it should be. And we can get, you know, what the fuck is happening on Wednesday? You know, Lewis Black used to make a joke about uh, there's no such thing as fact facts anymore. You can't get facts because the left has their set of facts and the right has their set of facts. And they have the left has their set of scientists and the right has their set of scientists. And then what happens like you can't get any fact facts the only place you could ever get fact facts was if you went uh went to uh went to high school and you went down to the cafeteria and on the billboard it said today at lunch there will be meatloaf and peas and by god at lunch there would be meatloaf and fucking peas like that's just we don't live in that kind of a world anymore everybody's just arguing yeah yeah, there's that. Um, but realize what is science? What mm-hmm. is scientific method? The scientific method is is like you come up with a theory, and then the whole scientific method is disproving your theory. That's right. That's the way it should be. <laughs> so it, it, it's fight. The doubters are actually practicing science. They are. <laughs> they are. But they're doing it in such a way that they're coming up with conclusions and not theory and they're cherry picking what they consider to be facts to support their conclusions. And they're just treating it as gospel and they're willing to beat people over the head with that instead of actually respecting the due process and having an open discussion with somebody who can and may be able to prove their counter arguments wrong. Right. And the other premise of science is reproducibility. That's right. But nobody's doing that. Well, the vaccine manufacturers are. The vaccine manufacturers <laughs> are, too. And that's another whole can of worms. The pharmaceutical industry. I, I find it hilarious. And, okay, forgive my tinfoil hat again. Uh, I find it interesting how we went from a group of people who were completely distrustful of the pharmaceutical industry for being no more than big business. And then all of a sudden we trust big pharma in the middle of a pandemic. Like, did they change? What changed? What, what, where's this trust part come in? Like, no, like, like their businesses, if their products fail, the government is not going to buy anything. And the orders will get like, you got to understand is like, Hey, I have $1.3 billion of, you know, doses of vaccine in a warehouse that I can't use. 
Like, you know what goes into making these things? It's not something trivial. So right. you get like, if you get blacklisted, if you if if your independent reviews don't get validated, because you know that's what the science is doing, right? They they they, they take the vaccine. And then they evaluate it. Like the governments, like in Winnipeg and everywhere else, they take the, the vaccine and they, they, they evaluate using lab animals saying, hey, yeah, it it does kill the virus. <laughs> okay, well, we, we know that some. it doesn't. We know that it's it like, doesn't. It just lowers your risk. For what we know, we know that it just lowers your risk. Because even if you are vac- double vaccinated, now we need a booster, I guess. Um, you can still catch it. Like you, there's still breakthrough cases that happen all the time, and in you know fact, there like are new variants fire. that are. And I mean, I get it, I understand. We're, we're trying. We're also trying to hit a moving target at the same time because we have new variants that are springing up. Which apparently, there's this one variant coming out of France that apparently can defeat the the vaccine and just completely bypasses it. Whoa, whoa, whoa! It doesn't. Def- the virus does not attack the vaccine. The vaccine. The vaccine enables your immune system yes. to naturally, and I'll do this on purpose, to naturally be able to fight. It's like, you know, there's these arguments around that say, hey, you know what? I'm going to fight this virus naturally. Well, the vaccine is like, do you use a hammer or do you pound in nails with your fist? <laughs> like, that's a great analogy <laughs> you know it, it, you know the, the virus is the the it is like it's just it is a piece of the virus that says okay i can kill you it's it, you know it's like the rubik cubes knowing the moves right the what <laughs> you know solving a rubik cubes because a rubik's cube because you know the moves oh yeah because there's like yeah i just learned that the other day actually i thought like you had if you could solve an, uh, a Rubik's cube, you had to be like some sort of genius. But no, you just need to know what the moves are, and you're good. It's an algorithm, yeah. I just need to know the algorithm, and that's uh, sort of, you know, it's, it's the blockchain password to kill the virus. And it, it really, like, it, it, the ironies around me are just, just like, did you really work through the the logic of why? No, not at that? all. I'm just parroting other people's false logic, and I'm letting you dismantle it. It's awesome. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. So, anyways, so so when we when we fight the fight the you know the the vi- the virus, um, you know when you're when you're equipping your body to fight the virus with the right hammers and not use your hand, um, you you like you to say the virus defeats you know uh, the the antibodies uh, mm-hmm. the antibodies because well it's a, it changed enough you know she. Change, they got their hair dyed, you know. They, you know they don't have the spike protein. You know, maybe they're not so pointy anymore. Maybe they're rounded. I, you know, like this, these these things have different they ways evolve. of change, changing themselves, just like humans do. Yeah. And there's the the risk of having so many infections. When those stupid people that talk about natural immunity, uh, when you have so many infections, to pro- the the probability of it mutating and changing to. Uh, radical enough to to uh evade existing systems bypass other new antiviral drugs are on the market now yeah like well now your uh, natural immunity means absolutely jack shit there's no there never was any natural immunity it's all i mean if you got covid if you got covid and then you know let's say three months later there was another round of covid coming through your area 
and you didn't get it, even though you're in close contact with other people, that would be the argument for natural immunity, right? But we're talking about same strain, same kind of deal. You've developed antibodies to be able to combat it uh, effectively. But over time, as the virus changes, that will no longer mean anything. Is that what you're getting at? Here's the irony. It doesn't matter what happens is that you'll always get it. You will always get it, but it's whether or not you fight it off, right? You'll always fight it. Well, unless you die, but you'll always fight it off. I mean, successfully. Or you die. Or you die. Or you just get sick. There's a middle ground where it's like, how long does it take you to recover? Hmm. Okay, and the, the the having the antibodies, your immune system trained with the antibodies. You know, with how to use the hammer on the front end. Uh, you know, your because your body could be a slow learner, like a lot of people are. Um, and then it, it trains them on the front end, so they don't have to do all that work. Like they can upload it like it's the Matrix. Your immune system, no kung fu, and and you sort of that's what happens. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Does it make sense? <laughs> yeah, it makes a fair amount of sense. I just like you just made a matrix analogy. I don't know how you were able to fit that one in there. Okay, Neo. By the way, have you seen the most recent uh, Matrix movie? You've got internet. You know how to download stuff. I'm in a bubble. I haven't. I haven't had time to do anything. <laughs> no, but I do. I do got to get going there, big guy. All right, sounds good. Uh, do you want to wrap up? Yeah. Uh, I, I could start. Yeah. We we went from oh. Black Lives Matter. <laughs> no, we went from defund police. Defund oh, that's police. right. That's right. That's right. I don't know how we got from there to... Uh, we, we still got to talk about vaccination mandates. Maybe we'll get another chance sometime, but not today. Probably not till March. That's March spring break. That's uh, right. So we went from... Uh, so we went from talking about um employing police um <laughs> defunding police employing police uh workplace uh agendas and employing people we talk about organizational culture how people fit within that organization because organizations are people um and then from there we went to on on to uh the vaccination and science side talk about thinking about um about health and how to employ science to your advantage. Then we started making uh, um, matrix jokes because I like the matrix. Um, and now we're here and uh, it's a great day. So, All right, buddy. I'll let you go. All right, man. Thanks. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. This was fun. I hope you're, uh, hope you're doing well. It was great talking to you again and hopefully we can keep this up. If you get a, if you get a, some white space in your calendar give me a shout and i'll try and make myself available yeah the next one next is gonna be it is gonna be like uh march on my calendar okay if you want i got it down to a science so i'm not kidding oh my god look (laughs) at that thing that looks terrible so i'm whiskey and i'm rocks (laughs) all right we'll see you when we see you Wait a minute.
minute rocks. Did you just look up a song that said hammer in it and this is how you're now relating it to your title? The answer is yes. You got a problem with Queen's 1984 hit Hammer to Fall. Great tune by a greater band. Link to Spotify is included. Speaking of awesome things to come out of the 80s, and I swear I'm not being paid to advertise, so you're welcome, Netflix, but go watch Cobra Kai on Netflix. I can't believe I waited this long to get into it, but it's awesome. I thought it was just going to be some gimmicky thing to capitalize on the past, but man, is it ever awesome. Like, it's very lighthearted, but it takes itself very seriously and raises some fascinating ethical points, like how no one is beyond redemption or how easily shaped the next generation of young adults really is and how we take that for granted all right time to stop making excuses it's probably time to just accept that we're probably only going to be a once every couple of weeks couple of months type podcast which is totally fine that said if you like what you heard or you're interested in listening to more don't forget that to hit that like button and tell your friends all about us. Share us on Facebook, Twitter, all the social medias. Well, like two of them. You can find us on Facebook if you search Whiskey and Rocks. And you can find us on Twitter at Whiskey and Rocks 1. The links are in the description. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for more Whiskey and Rocks. <laughs>